But I do say that space can be explored and mastered without feeding the fires of war, without repeating the mistakes that man has made in extending his writ around this globe of ours. There is no strife, no prejudice, no national conflict in outer space as yet. Its hazards are hostile to us all. Its conquest deserves the best of all mankind. And its opportunity for peaceful cooperation may never come again. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Artist at Work podcast. We are outside again. A little bit better filming location than the green belt. Less insect noise. Uh, better lighting situation going on in this episode. So hopefully we can keep dialing in the process and making it as good as possible with the tools I currently have. And there are some sprinklers popping off at the moment. So this may be uh, interrupted at some point by a blast of water. And uh, so far it seems like I'm not in a blast radius, but I wasn't even aware of the one that popped up over there until it started going, so. We will see what happens, but for the time being, we're gonna get into a little bit more talking about the overall vision for this podcast and what it is I'm trying to do with my own art practice and how I hope to integrate this podcast with my own process of making music. I would very much enjoy interacting with uh, musical people on this podcast, talking about their art practice getting to know really the whole journey behind the art and I think there's a lot that goes unnoticed and perhaps it's perhaps it's hidden almost by the nature of the art practice like I don't know there's there's something about everyone showing their finished work where you can easily lose sight of the sort of bedrock day-to-day practice which leads to the finished work which then leads to all these ripple effects of enjoyment love and beauty being shared with the world and I would really like to focus on that foundational bedrock of an art practice and that's the piece of an artist's journey which I'm really trying to zero in on I'm trying to figure out how to properly orient some core questions for this podcast and in my mind I think it would be helpful to have a few ideas or sort of like cornerstone topics and I think by phrasing those ideas into questions it will help orient the conversation without it being too scripted I still want freestyle conversation interacting in the present moment and really exploring all the various nuances of an artist's life journey 
And so a few core questions to just orient, orient the podcast, like orient the conversation, orient the sort of direction of travel. Like we're trying to move in this general direction, learning more about the foundational art practice. But the actual path in that direction is still unknown. I'm still trying to figure that out as I go. And what I'm realizing is I think it would be helpful to sort of continue to almost wrestle with the overall vision a little bit and keep working it, keep uh, turning it around from different angles and perspectives and doing it in the actual practice so that I get a feel for what is working and what's not working and... One of the core questions will be dealing with the flow state. How do you, the artist, enter the flow state? What is the flow state mean to you? Like there's a, there's an underlying direction there, which is essentially me trying to understand how the artist is entering and feeling when they're at their most creative and productive state of being. And so that's sort of a core question that I'm trying to explore. And that's the sort of thing which can lead in so many different directions and then we can wander about in any of those directions. But just having some other core questions as well about how the artist discovered or first experienced whatever medium of art they are now practicing. To me, that's important in terms of getting to know how the artist encountered and learned about what it is they're now doing and what period of their life they were in when that occurred. I think all of that helps build some of the backstory and we get to learn more about perhaps the artist a, a personal example would be when I discovered the importance of music to sort of work through some unresolved emotions and sort of buried trauma within myself by talking about that sort of entry into a love for music you learn more about why I'm so passionate about music today and so when I think about how other artists could have similar experiences with their journey we're really trying to get like where did it start and then by getting to the origin of an art practice we can move forward from there and start to learn more about how it's evolved over time all the different changes all the different failures that turned into incredible lessons and I feel like that needs to be phrased in a question sort of like what is something which happened that you thought was a huge failure but turned out to be an incredible lesson like it's something like that like how can you talk about a time in your art practice where you thought you made a terrible mistake 
maybe you're upset with yourself, but eventually you realize that it was an enormously meaningful lesson which had to be learned, and the only way to learn it was through the process of making mistakes. There's definitely a way I need to like tighten up that question and make it a little bit more clear, but there's something about also learning about the role that mistakes play in the development of an art practice and the need to I guess it's sort of like allowing yourself to make mistakes like giving yourself the uh, freedom to stumble and fall and be foolish and silly and experiment in a very playful way there is strange seriousness that seems to have captured so many people where it's like this constant state of brewing in this like smug serious state of vile negativity just (sighs) I really think more people need to cultivate an art practice for their own benefit I mean forget forget the benefit of sharing it with the world and sort of multiplying beauty and love just for your own benefit of learning how to explore yourself and transmute any trauma or negative emotions finding a way to sort of release all that is toxic all that is poisonous I mean if you have been building up with resentment for years you gotta find a way to release that you gotta, you gotta get that out of your body like it's snake venom. I mean, you, you let that run around in your veins, you, yikes, buddy. Hmm. I think another core question would be something about how the artist perceives their relationship with art. How would you describe the relationship you have with your art practice? Is it a friend, a lover? Is it a tool you use to release pent-up energy? Is it... Is it any number of things that just help orient the self and help explore what life is, what's going on? I mean, there's a... There's a way in which each artist relates to their practice in a different way. Like for some it's more of a therapy, for others it's more of a playful enjoyment, for some it's treated like a sort of uh, it's treated like a regimented experiment that's sort of like 
planned out in stages and you just hammer out all the stages and you do the thing, do the thing, do the thing, do the thing. And I think there's something there which also helps orient the conversation around the art practice and the relationship that an artist has at work with that practice. Like we're really trying to stay focused on what the actions of an artist at work is in its entirety. What an artist does. There's there's so much nuance to be discussed in and around the practice that really all of the questions I'm trying to figure out, all of these core ideas are subtly different ways of orienting back to the foundation of practice. How can we sort of angle into talking about an art practice from a few different directions, like trying to find different angles to approach subtly different areas of the art practice. And it's almost like we're attempting to open up like a little valve of conversation, hoping that by inviting it to open, a greater momentum, which is sort of connected to that valve, will also start to release and sort of press out some water. And we can drink that in. We can enjoy the can enjoy sort of the free-flowing waters that bubble up and naturally want to find expression in the world. And so a few well-oriented questions to just help return to, like, this is the space we're attempting to explore and discuss. So I'm trying to define the space so that it's contained enough to direct the conversation and keep it within a certain bubble of thought and discussion without constricting the conversation. It's sort of like, as much as I love talking about rockets and aliens, I could get into that all the time, but like, I'm trying to orient the podcast about the practice of art. And so I have to have these I have to have these sort of like spheres of intention to properly orient the discussion at scale. Because the goal is to have hundreds, potentially thousands of conversations with creative people. And I need to be good at orienting the conversation towards the creative practice. And if we end up taking a tangent and we end up talking about rockets or aliens, I need to be able to sort of steer the conversation back into the creative practice. And that's where I think having a few core questions would be really helpful. Like there's always something that I can introduce into the conversation, which will sort of guide us back 
in the direction where we're trying to go. So it's figuring out, it's sort of that tension thing of, I don't want to hold on too tightly to my ideas of what the conversation should be about. That would be too much sort of constriction. And I don't want to be too loose, otherwise it will sort of run away in all sorts of directions and there will be no real rhyme, reason, there will be no real organizing principle to what's going on. And so you have to find a balance within order and chaos. And I think that's the ongoing struggle in so many different ways of life to balance out the order and the chaos. There's also a core question about how and when you choose to collaborate. What sort of what sort of ideas would you prefer to work out on your own? What sort of ideas work better in a group setting when you can really sort of bounce around and feel like there's there's different ways in which a given part of the art practice is better performed alone and others perhaps better performed in a group collaborating and I think there's something about that which is also helpful to learn about how the artist is working are you a lone wolf creator are you someone who works better in a pack are you someone who prefers a little bit of both? Like, I think there's a lot of nuance there, which is helpful as well. There's definitely a core question about how the artist relates to the idea of making money from their art practice. Are they making money from their art practice? If yes, how did that begin? and how is it evolving now? And if the answer is no, are you planning to make money from it in the future? Is that some intention or, or do you have no plans of making money from the art practice? So there's a business component. Like, is this a business? How long has it been a business? If it's not a business, how long has it been a hobby? Do you ever have plans of making it into a business? So I have to sort of tighten up a question there, which sort of focuses on the professional component of it in the sense that you're getting paid to perform or create some work of art. And so I'm not sure how I would phrase that. Maybe it's something like Is there any component of the art practice which is also a business? Is there... Hmm. Is there something that's lost by selling the art? Like I think some of the people who feel like it's 
almost a more pure form of art if you can just make it for the sake of making it you're not making it to sell it but that also seems like just sort of a romanticized naive idea of what art is and I think that also plays into the, the whole idea of the starving artist where it's like there's something which we almost perceive as more true to the person who's making no money from the art but still engaged with it at a high level and they're sort of on the cusp of monetary return or something like that like there's almost something admirable admirable <laughs> there's something sort of sexy about like the aspiring artist who is doing everything they can to make their art and you can sort of feel the hunger and you can sort of feel the creative bubbling and yeah there's something about sort of witnessing a beginning practice which is exciting it's sort of a sort of a thrill to see people trying to figure it out but there's also, I think, a lot that can be learned from artists who are successfully engaged in a business application of their art. Somehow they're earning income from their art practice. I think it's helpful to get into that as well because that is the remarkably difficult transition to make for every artist when the practice becomes serious enough that it's the thing they want to do most with their time. The only way to be able to do that is to find a way to earn income from that practice so that it sort of motivates and inspires even more practice to occur. If you have a day job to fund your art practice at other periods of your life, when you're not at your day job, you're automatically limited just by time and space to how much you can practice your art. So finding a way to earn income from your art practice really opens up the door to practicing more art. And that's a transition which is difficult to make. And I think talking to people who have successfully done that will help inspire other artists to perhaps make subtle changes in the ways they practice or the way in which they share their practice in an attempt to earn a living. <laughs> feel that throbbing bass coming through. Like you have to just feel the, you have to feel the ways in which others have found success to help turn around your own ideas of success and your own perceived pathways of getting to that point. Because maybe you hear a story about how someone else 
was thinking outside of the box and found a way to make their art practice a business. They found a way to earn enough income to quit their day job and focus entirely on art. Like they found a way to make that transition. They found a way to continue with that lifestyle of making art and earning an income from that process. And so it sort of fuels more and more art practice. And there are so many ways in which people have been able to make art their entire financial support um, application. Like everything that they're doing to earn money is related to their art. So the people who have been able to do that are uniquely experienced in a way that they can share how they did it. And then others who have not done it can learn a great deal from it, both in copying similar ideas, but also just seeing the way in which someone was able to sort of think outside of the box and make it happen. That could help others think creatively for their own set of circumstances and make something happen. And there is at least in my mind, there's so much potential for beauty in the world. It really does seem like we should be doing everything we can to cultivate more beauty and cultivate more creative practice because that's where it begins. That's where it happens. Like it really does happen at the practice. And so discussing how to cultivate a practice and tying in how to integrate that practice with the business, that will help cultivate more full-time artists who are getting paid to create beauty. They are being directly rewarded for their participation with life, for their ability to create light in whatever medium of art it is that they're working with. There's an ability to tell a story. There's an ability to interact with people on a very deep level it's it's such a special way of communicating to speak with beauty This is good coffee. Shameless plug for Summer Moon Coffee. Oh. 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 Mm. So goddamn good. Not a sponsor of the show. At least not yet. I would very much enjoy Summer Moon Coffee to be a sponsor of the show. So if anyone who works at Summer Moon happens to ever see the podcast, if you ever happen to be going way, way, way back in the archives and you find this, yo, (laughs) I could drink this in every single podcast I do. Just be loving it. So you want to hook me up with coffee? I'll advertise and plug the crap out of it. Mm-hmm.
Now, there are just some ways in which people do things that have a noticeable shift or level up from others in that space, whatever it might be. And there's there's a deep appreciation, I feel, when I see someone who's sort of reinventing uh, an idea, a mode of thinking or doing, which has been long established. Like, it's sort of exciting to see someone, like, it's the, oh, what is the reference? It's like putting wheels on a suitcase. Like, how long did suitcases exist that people were carrying around and the revolutionary technology of a wheel like they existed simultaneously for a very long time before someone thought about combining them there was something like revolutionary about that idea which is now just sort of an accepted like obvious thing to do like you have heavy things to move yeah we have wheels which can help in that process so it's like what ideas in my life are that where I have everything I need at the moment but I have to make a new combination I have to pair things together in a new way I have to find that sort of creative application of what already is and it can have this huge level up uh It's, it's a level up in efficiency, gracefulness, um, energy input to sort of complete the task, to move whatever needs to be moved. I mean, there's just, there's sort of a logistics component to it as well. It's not, it's not just mechanical. Still thinking about some other core questions to orient the podcast. I think something something to talk about like the total life integration with the art practice. What are some other things that the artist is doing throughout their day, throughout their week? And how do they integrate the practice of art with their overall life experience? And I think that will help articulate to others the never-ending challenges of time management and choosing how and when to prioritize different things. And... that seems like a good core question to have and so we have origin of art practice entering the flow state is it a business um, 
relationship with the practice. Total life integration with the practice, which I suppose is sort of combined with the relationship. And so maybe I need to work that question together in a way where it's sort of like, what is your daily and weekly relationship with the art practice like at this stage in your life? And then perhaps a follow-on would be, how would you describe the arc of your total relationship with the practice thus far? Have you had any major fallouts? Have there been any turbulent moments where you thought about quitting the art practice altogether? I think getting into that sort of, like exploring the sort of rocky road, the undulating relationship, which is sort of natural with an art practice. And then I think that will help others who feel that, like maybe they've grown away from an art practice. And then when they hear that someone else also went through stages in their life like that, and maybe they can learn how that person reintegrated with their art practice and maybe it inspires the listener or observer watching the video podcast and for anyone who is just listening just a brief little heads up i will be releasing a video component of every podcast on youtube and spotify those are the only two at the moment which will have the video and I'm not sure if that's going to change in the future, but for the time being, if you want to watch me as I'm talking, trying to do as many of these in a wild place or in the studio of the artist that I'm talking with, I think those are the two ideal locations to be doing the podcast. That way I can show the artist at work. And so something else, this is, I, we can we can leave the core questions aside for a moment because I think this is important to talk about. Something that I've been thinking about is the overall structure of the podcast. And I think the end of each episode should include a artistic freestyle from myself and whoever I'm interviewing in whatever medium of work it happens to be. So for me, I would always do some sort of freestyle lyrical creation at the end of the podcast and then I would like to include a artistic creation of the artist that I'm interviewing whatever their medium of art might be and so if they are a painter I'd like to sort of document them painting an image and then maybe have them send me a photo of the finished piece or maybe not maybe we just show the practice and we just leave it at that a part of me likes that even better like we'll just sort of add on at the end of each episode I'll give a freestyle practice to either do in the video or include afterwards I'll find one that's unreleased and just add it into I'll stitch it in when I'm editing the video um and I'd like to add then video of the artist that I'm interviewing in their workflow. And so I think something like 10 to 30, no, maybe 10 to 20 minutes of 
the artist working on their practice and making, I th yeah, because I think like a 20 minute video that's really well put together, you can show so many different components of the art practice, so many little moments in 20 minutes. And I also think that would probably have less talking, which might be a reason to just have it as like a bonus component for the video podcasts. But that would be too difficult in terms of how I'm distributing this, so it will be included. Hmm. So another option, instead of putting those at the end, I could essentially fade into those videos throughout the conversation and just show little moments of the art practice. I think the reason I lean against that is it's possible that what we're talking about and what's being shown in the video of the art practice are either too different or each one requires too much attention. You can't really pay attention to both at once. I think that's why a part of me leans towards having the creative sort of show and tell piece of it at the end. And maybe there just needs to be a little bit of um, top line talking or music if it is mostly visual. And that would work. I could put some music to it. Um, even music I've made. Or I could find music and license it, find license-free music, slap that on there. Just so that the listeners aren't totally left with silence but also so that I don't have to be constantly talking over whatever the art practice is. I mean, I think it would be nice for the artist to almost narrate what's happening a little bit, but it's also possible that it just needs to be shown. Like, you just need to see it happen. And that way we have a conversation for one to three hours, and then on top of that we'll have 10 to 20 minutes of just the art practice being recorded and shared and the idea would be to show that art practice wherever it naturally occurs and so if there's a certain studio space a certain set of tools that need to be used I really want that to be included to show the total practice to put everything on display as it is how it happens and If it's a practice of art that has minimal tools or the tools can be moved relatively easily to an outdoor location, that would also work. It's really only in the case where the studio space is required. An example might be someone who's welding. Like we obviously have to be in the workshop to see that welding take place. And so someone who is painting may or may not be comfortable painting outside in the elements so that sort of that could go either way where maybe the painter has an art studio where they frequently work on art they keep all their tools there set up with an easel they have 
all the materials they need and that's where they'd prefer to record the practice. Other artists may be open to the idea and may already be sort of traveling around to work on their art. And so for them, it's sort of easy and already a trained practice to set up in an outdoor location and start painting. And the reason I like that is I can get these very dynamic video angles of them just doing their practice. I don't need to talk to them. I want them to get in their zone and I'm just gonna sort of move around and take some videos with the gimbal. I'll set up a tripod just so that there's like a constant, um, constant camera perspective to document the total practice. And then I can edit the video together and have different clips between stationary camera and sort of smooth gimbal shots from all different angles. And so the reason why I want to separate the conversation from the practice is that in many cases when an artist is actively focused on their work, they're not capable, they're not, they're not also able to have a conversation, not at the same time. And so when the practice is happening, I need to just not talk to them. I want them to sort of ignore my presence, so I need to be as sort of quiet as possible and just sort of float around. And I also think it's better to do that after the conversation because the conversation will help build trust and rapport so that when the time comes to practice art, they're more likely to sort of have a baseline level of trust in me and that will help them just relax into the creative flow state a little bit easier. And the last thing I'd wanna do is sort of meet someone for the first time and try and record them practicing art in their most intimate way. So always starting with the conversation and then getting into the actual practice and really letting the artist decide what they're willing to show in the practice. Um, like if an artist is willing to let me film them for a five hour session as they perform their art practice, I am so down for that. And, oh, I mean, shoot, now that I say that, I feel like I could, I could go up to an hour of showing an art practice because for some people, the, the practice is so long, it's so nuanced. Like, why not, why not do it longer? If they're open to it, I'm game. There's also something about showing enough to help share what the practice is and sort of piquing people's interest in the artist without showing so much that they feel like they never need to interact with the artist again, like they already know everything. So maybe that's a reason to keep it shorter. And again, like these are sort of soft limits and boundaries, which I'm trying to set just to sort of orient the podcast and give people an idea of what's going to happen when I'm scheduling to sit down with them. Like I can give them a time window of, I'd like to talk between one in three hours and record your art practice between like 15 minutes and an hour or something, 15 minutes and two hours. Like 
whatever period of time you're willing to let me record the art practice so that I can include part of that with the podcast as well and sort of insert videos of it taking place and I think that's a piece where if at any point during the podcast an artist is giving an example of a certain component of the practice and then later on I have a really nice video of them doing the thing it would be incredible to add that in either overlay it as sort of a corner window or just have it take over the whole camera screen and just have the conversation going with the audio but now you get to see exactly what the artist is talking about you get to like observe whatever thing they were trying to articulate so i think that would be a situation where cutting in with some of the some of the sort of b-roll art practice footage that would be a very nice addition to the overall production of the video and I think it's helpful just to sort of give people like a time window that they could feel comfortable within. Like one to three hours feels like a comfortable podcast timeline to offer people. Like I'm good with anything between these. And really I'm good going over three hours. Um, but I think having that sort of like top limit that's not outrageous will give people an idea okay we're not going over that like I can sort of plan that into the total experience timeline for meeting up setting up recording the podcast um, I want to make sure that they understand sort of the time commitment and know that they have freedom and flexibility and that I'm grateful for any amount of time they're willing to share with me and I'm not really interested in doing anything less than an hour because I don't think it's enough time to really get into and appreciate the art practice and the artist enough. And so I think that's a good minimum to set. And I think three hours is a good maximum because it seems rare where someone who I'm interacting with would actually want to sit and talk for more than three hours. Um, but I also then have to remember that I'm going to be adding on to the conversation creative practice, both from myself and from the other artist. And so I need to be leaving sort of that headroom to be able to add another maybe 30 minutes, maybe even another full hour of creative video audio material. And so if we talk for three hours and then we add an hour of creative practice that's a four-hour podcast and I really don't think I should be going over <laughs> that length of time um, but another part of me is thinking like if anyone's gonna watch a podcast for three hours they'll probably watch it for four <laughs> like they've already made it that far into it they're they're in it 
and I've felt that way. I mean, I've watched a few podcasts. I've even done audio-only podcasts that were over five hours. Like, there was a, a Jocko podcast. I forget who it was with. And it was absurdly long. I listened to the whole thing. <laughs> I was just driving on a road trip. Turn on a podcast episode that's over five hours, and bam. And so there's something, there's something about being loose with the limits, and sort of being okay going over. And there's also something very helpful about finding out that Spotify for podcasters doesn't have a file size limit, which I was running into on the first uh, distribution platform that I was attempting to use. And so I was very grateful to figure that out, get that oriented and set up. And I did launch the first episode earlier today. So that's, that's exciting. First episode is now available. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon. It's on iHeartRadio, a few other... Uh, podcast services I don't even remember all the different places I was sending it but it's not out there it's in the world we are getting going like now I have the RSS feed we've got the first podcast with the cover art and the description and the hoopla 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 it's all like I've done all the sort of pre-screening account setup for all the various platforms where I'm sharing it like I did all these setup steps, and now it'll be it'll be so much easier to upload the second episode and distribute it, and so it'll just keep getting faster and faster. Uh, I'm starting to figure out a little bit in terms of the editing process to go from recording the video all the way to uploading it, and I'm still trying to figure out some of the steps to optimize the process. But so far, it seems like it's going to be very helpful to have the audio attached to the video on the phone as often as possible. The reason for that is it allows me to just put one file into Final Cut Pro. I can extract the audio and place that into Logic. I can compress it do some EQ stuff. I can work on the gain to get it to the proper audio level before sharing it. And really, I'm getting the audio stuff done in Logic, and then I'm adding that audio track, just the one audio track. So if I'm talking with another person and I have two different audio tracks, now another reason why I think it's better to do it in the phone is when I do it in the phone, even with the second receiver, it'll pair them automatically into one audio track. So then when I'm doing the EQ stuff, I'm just working one audio track. When I finish that in Logic, I then bring it back into Final Cut Pro. I deactivate or remove the audio file that was in the video once I line it up. And that's the other piece where I need to make sure I'm not cutting the video on the front or back end before I really line up the audio and get it perfectly square. And so that's why I'm putting the full length video into Final Cut Pro then taking the full-length audio and working that, putting the full-length audio back, getting them lined up, 
before any cuts have been made. Then I start making cuts to the video and the audio track at the same time. So I know that everything's lined up and we're good to go. So when I export the file, it's the video with the audio, which Spotify for podcasters will accept. And then they can extract just the audio file to distribute to the platforms where it's only audio. And so that way I'm only uploading one thing and then it's being sort of split and shared. And it's also one thing for YouTube. So I would upload the same video to YouTube that I would upload to Spotify for podcasters. And so I think that streamlines the process. And it's also somewhat of a bummer, I suppose, that there's a limit to each receiver recording, which is about 30 minutes. And I don't know if there's a setting that I can change to alter that so that I can go longer. But what that means is when I'm recording for an hour and a half, if I'm going over an hour and a half, I have at least four different audio files that I have to sort of stitch together um, if I'm using the recordings that are saved on the receiver. So treating those as backups only, I think is going to be the way I move forward with this. And so making sure that I am integrating the audio with the video, it saves a lot of time in the rest of the processing. I just need to sort of keep that in mind and develop a good habit of really only having the receiver audio as an emergency backup. If I lose the video, if the video audio doesn't work for some reason, I still have the backup and I can stitch it together and make it work and it'll be fine. It's just not ideal. Um, and it also seems like the audio files are not saving any accurate time and date location for when it was created. So it's sort of difficult for me to figure out which audio files belong to which video files. So I'm also trying to just announce at the beginning of starting the backup recording what it is I'm doing and when it is I'm starting the video so that I can sort of uh, more quickly identify which audio files belong where. And so now when I am going through the audio file for this podcast, I know that I started. As soon as I pressed record, I said, artist at work, podcast number four, video start in three, two, one mark. And so I have this information uh, like quick access information. Like this is what I need to know. I need to know as soon as possible what this recording is about and is there a video or not. And so in the first three seconds, I have sort of relayed that important information to myself so that when I'm going through the process later, I will hear Artist at Work podcast number four, video mark in three, two, one. I immediately know I can label this and the consecutive recordings as Artist at Work podcast number four, backups. And it just streamlines the whole process, makes it more efficient. And every little boost in efficiency adds up, especially when I'm working at scale over a long period of time. It really does add up to make those fine tuning adjustments so that it's as easy as possible to go from 
making the video to sharing the video. I want that process and pathway to be as smooth as possible. And so figuring out the different formats which are accepted by YouTube and Spotify for podcasters, that's important. It's important to figure out the different formats accepted by social media platforms just so that I have like a like these are the things which can be shared at these locations, sort of like a master list of like I cannot post horizontal videos on TikTok, but I can edit the horizontal video and make it into a vertical video and then put that on TikTok. And so it's like having those little sort of written out ways of sharing different types of information, different types of files. And then that'll especially help once I start adding more categories of videos, it'll be clear like, okay, this category and this category get shared onto these platforms. This category and this category need to be shared on these platforms as is, and then they need to be edited into a vertical format and cut into clips to be shared on this platform. Like I have to sort of figure out that journey that videos have to take before they end up in all the various sorting locations that I'm trying to place them. And it's sort of like I'm trying to build a library of art and host it in multiple different locations so that it's like people can access through some sort of portal which they're already using they can stumble into my art library and sort of explore it and find their way around it with some sense of orientation and I think that's where having the categories with the episode numbers is going to be enormously helpful when I'm working at scale and recognizing the process of building the library and being really good about organizing it as I go that will help tremendously as the scale starts to increase more and more and more as the creative material builds up more and more and more Speaking of building up creative material and developing good habits, uh, I'm not sure how long this has been going. I forgot to start my timer. Hopefully next time I'll remember that. It's just helpful to know how long I've been going because when I get in the flow and I just start riffing on an idea, like I lose, <laughs> I lose all track of time entirely. So it's good to have that reference. Um, I've also been thinking about how I'd like to record in wild places because I'm not, I don't think the picnic table is a terrible idea, but it's not something I want to rely on for filming a podcast because I would have to bring the bigger tripod and I'd probably bring that even if we weren't at a table, just to get the proper height. Um, 
But having the bigger tripod sort of setting it on the side and getting just the side view of us sitting across a picnic table. The reason I'm not crazy about that is that it's a pretty close space to have a conversation with someone, like right across this table. It's a little bit too close. Um, and so what I'd like to do is get, I think, a couple comfortable camp chairs, probably Big Agnes, um, bigger than the one that I have. That way it's relatively mobile, but also comfortable enough to be used for up to three hours. And so I think that's a worthwhile investment to have two matching chairs, which are relatively lightweight, packable, minimalistic, but also comfortable enough to like set up here at Zilker or at another park and then set up the camera on a tripod, wireless microphones, and we're good to go. And then set up a second phone camera or have a second person to walk around and sort of get more video of the total space, which is something I would really enjoy more of. And I really enjoy that when I see it in other podcast productions. And it seems like the kind of thing which requires a lot of extra work in terms of having another person to film during the conversation and then editing in with the different camera angles and choosing when to sort of make those cuts. It's a greater upfront investment in time before the video can be shared, but I think it's worthwhile because of the level up effect it has on the overall experience, where it's not just this static camera angle of two people sitting in chairs having a conversation in a wild location or a park but now you're getting to sort of feel like you're there almost walking around in the park a little bit you get to see different angles of the conversation happening and see different angles of the surrounding space and it sort of builds more of the sense that you're actually like here like there's a there's a way in which like having those dynamic moving camera angle shots it makes it feel like you're actually in the space observing the conversation because if you were observing the conversation your eyes wouldn't stay just like locked on to the two people talking the whole goddamn time you'd be looking away and looking at different things and your eyes would sort of scan the horizon and then you'd catch a car moving in the distance sort of watch it drive by and oh there's a bird over here like you're sort of all over the place naturally. And so when a video also has that sort of natural ebb and flow, it feels like it cultivates more presence in the observer because you're sort of like, yes, this is how I would be behaving if I were there. And I think that's like a, it's, it's a small adjustment, which has a huge outsized impact on the overall experience. And so doing that as often as possible. That's one of those things where I can't let that be a reason it doesn't happen. I can't let that be a barrier to entry, but it does need to be a priority in terms of I'm going to try and do it as often as possible because I do think it is a worthwhile adjustment. It's a worthwhile component of the whole experience.
And there are a few people who I think would be interested in doing that, participating a little bit. Um, I've also entertained the idea of finding a way to almost have like a co-host type producer role where someone who is swinging the camera might also from time to time chime in and participate with the conversation I don't have a third mic I don't know if that's too much of an added layer of complexion for it to find balance and I don't want to be an intimidating presence when an artist is attempting to be vulnerable so I think that's also important we're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation you can sort of feel a little bit more face-to-face -face related with whatever's happening. If all of a sudden it's two people who hang out all the time and talk all the time are having a conversation with one person, it can feel a little bit um, overpowering, I guess, where you may not be as open to talk about what you're attempting to share. You may be a little bit more shy and reserved because there are now two people sitting across the table from you sort of thinking about responses and thinking about how to have an interesting conversation and taking it in different directions and I don't know like if you view it almost like tennis the conversation has this back and forth momentum which builds up differently if it's one on one but if it's two on one, it's like the two people are gonna be making the one person run more all over the place. And I think that's kind of an unfair experience for the person being interviewed. Like they're sort of, they're sort of constantly running back and forth. And if they manage to hit something over the net, it just gets like immediately smashed back to them because there are two people who have the potential to hit it back. And so like, if I'm gonna be receiving a volley my way, I may stop and pause and think about it, which also gives the artist time to think about everything going on in the conversation. But if I have a partner, they may have an idea immediately and just smash it right back. And so like, it sort of throws off the pacing um, and even just that example makes me think I don't want to do that I think the one-on-one -on -one is the best way to go it's also really all I can do at the moment with what I have so we'll keep that the main orientation at the moment I'm gonna check on how long we've been rolling here, just so I have some idea of what's going on. Walking around. All right, just over an hour here.
I have a feeling. I have a feeling the downtime and the pauses, all the silence in my podcast recordings is going to. I'm feeling it's going to work some people um, in a way that's not great. Like, I get that some people just want to be fueled or filled with information, no downtime. But this is going to be a little bit of a different pace whenever I'm doing a recording on my own. I think when it's a conversation, there's a naturally less downtime less pauses less extended breaks Um, but it's a vibe it's part of the art practice that I'm cultivating and it's choosing to be in places that have other sounds going on so that I can take a pause and let some other things fill the audio space for a little bit. back to thinking about the core questions but I'm also really really excited about this idea of being able to set up almost like a little space for recording in various locations I think the maybe larger version of the Big Agnes camp chairs would work well It may be like a camp table to put in between and just have a place to sort of set like, I don't know, some sort of symbol of the podcast, like a coffee mug with a print on it or some object to sort of draw attention and add a little bit of an accent and sort of have like another point of central focus, some work of art perhaps. Maybe that's what I could do was always try and find a way to place some version or representation of the artist's work on the middle table. And so that way it's something different every time. And always finding a way to make it fit, like whatever it might be. So if they normally make large works of art, like large sculptures that just would not be feasible to move to that space, either a photo mm, printed and attached to something substantial enough that it won't just blow away in the wind, or even like a, a model version of it, 
if an artist has something like that, that would be that would be great. I'm just trying to like develop a tiny little space of items, like as minimalistic as possible, while also being interesting and sort of pleasing to the eye. Like making that sort of geometric space where things seem to have like a planned orientation to it. I think there's a, there's a way in which even just adding a middle table, it sort of connects the space between people talking and adding just a few small things on the table, it sort of draws the attention into the center a little bit. Um, just trying to have those like subtle reminders to come back and refocus and find that center, whatever it is. And in the podcast setup, it's literally the center of looking at the conversation, observing what's going on, how the two people are interacting, and sort of defining a space. Um, It might be interesting to add some prayer flags blowing in the wind a little bit. Also defining the space and maybe adding some leading lines. Like there are all kinds of little things that I keep thinking about. Like it's those little details which are mobile, fit in a backpack, or can be easily carried and have a relatively easy setup and breakdown sequence. And so the thinking there is that even with the larger version of the Big Agnes camp chairs, they're lightweight enough that I could still feel comfortable carrying them for a few miles. And anything else that I'm adding as an accent piece would need to be equally mobile. Like I need to be able to carry this for a few miles and recognize that if I'm truly trying to go to an incredibly far out wild place, it must be an amazing, an amazingly active artist who's also interested in meeting at that location, sort of going through that whole journey. And we can then make pivots and adjustments in terms of what gear we're bringing and what adjustments need to be made to make it sort of more lightweight. Uh, but that's something to think about later on, because for the time being in Austin, there really aren't places where they're that wild. Like if we're truly going somewhere wild, it's really only a few miles one way. And I'm more thinking about being back in a place like Colorado and wanting to do some, you know, like six miles to the summit, let's go do the podcast at the summit. (laughs) And then we'll, you know, hike back down. So probably wouldn't bring all the same stuff on that journey that I would bring to a park where I'm driving and walking a few hundred meters. And so it's a different orientation, subtly, but overall the goal is maintaining mobility, as much mobility as possible, and the overall efficiency of what's required to set up the podcast and start recording and then what's required to break down and sort of clear out of whatever space where we set up in. 
And so I think the advantage to having camp chairs is that like I can bring them to any location indoor or outdoor and quickly set them up and quickly remove them at the end. Whereas if I had like bigger, more substantial chairs that I wanted to sort of move around in the car, I can't walk with those on a trail. I can't easily move those around an apartment complex to get to someone's place. I can't easily move it around a crowded studio. Um, yeah, like there's, there's a lot of different benefits to having comfortable camp chairs be the sort of setup. But I also have to recognize that that's like to get camp chairs that are comfortable enough to sit in for three hours and have a conversation, like that's going to be a decent chunk of money to invest in that piece of gear. And I think it's a piece of gear that I need to acquire soon in the sense that it seems like it has an outsized benefit to the overall production of the podcast and the overall experience of the guest. Like, I want them to come back. I want them to have such a good time hanging out with me and talking about their art practice that they want to come back and share more of their art practice with me at a later date. So by focusing on the guest experience and really raising that up, that's also a great way to have other connections made through that artist and so if I invite an artist on and they have a great time talking with me they feel like they were comfortable and taken care of like everything was sort of well thought out they're much more likely to tell a friend who's also a creative person about it and maybe tell them that they should reach out and connect and we should sit down and talk and so sort of developing that total experience and making it as smooth and comfortable as possible. And also trying to figure out some sort of repeatability. Like I'm recognizing that it would be very easy to repeat the set setup if I'm using collapsible camp chairs and a collapsible camp table and some very minimal like accent pieces um, and I'm thinking even like uh, two driveway snow stakes and some prayer flags where I could just sort of hammer the or press the snow stakes into the ground to sort of frame just beyond the two chairs and then to string up prayer flags between them and then down the poles and that way there's movement and there's sort of a leading line connecting the heads a little bit and then the flags can blow in the wind add some color help to just define the space a little bit more and it's also a lightweight packable accent piece which sort of it adds that unique um, recognizable component of the set which is also something that is easy to repeat because if I'm going to a more wild location I could string it up between trees 
tying it to branches. Um, like I could always find a way to put prayer flags in the set somehow, some way. And that's part of what I'm trying to be conscientious about. Like, is this something which I will be able to repeat as a part of the set? Or is this something which is going to be too much of a hassle to move, too awkward, too heavy, too whatever it happens to be, just sort of unnecessary? But making those really intentional additions, only having things which have noticeable impact for good and accurately represent the character of the podcast. And I think the prayer flags like are spot on for representing the character of the podcast and the overall vibe that I'm attempting to cultivate. So it's another detail. It's another detail. Maybe uh, something to consider would be like some insulated water bottles with the artist at work cover art because that's going to be necessary to keep cold fluids in 100 plus degree weather when we're outside recording for a few hours and so the coffee mug it's just not going to cut it um part of me would like to give a printed coffee mug to every guest that I have like they have something to take back with them another part of me doesn't think I can manage that cost at the moment um, hmm. but I would really enjoy being able to give someone a little thank you gift for giving me their time, giving me their heart and soul in conversation, sharing their art practice with me. Like, I'd like to express that gratitude and give something in return. And while it is true that I'm giving sort of the production of their art, some marketing, some exposure in the world, I'd like to give something else as well. Um, and it's nice to just receive sort of a small memento, a small thank you. It's also nice to give people things that they can actually use in their day-to-day -day life. Things that have a positive impact on how they show up in the world. And it certainly seems like a insulated water bottle would be better, more applicable to that than a coffee mug, but definitely more expensive. And I can't afford that at the moment. I can't afford to be paying for 
a custom insulated water bottle every time I sit down and interview somebody. Maybe someday. Someday I'll get to a point where that's a reasonable thing for me to afford. I don't even know why I'm talking about that at the moment. Just getting into that rambling mode, losing direction a little bit, taking unrelated tangents more frequently. I guess it was, I can sort of see how I got there, but trying to piece together what the set is going to look like. I'm going to repeat the podcast over and over again. I'm attempting to make smart investments in the gear, which is like only getting things that really level up the podcast experience. I don't want the extra stuff. I don't want the extra things just to have them, just to flex. Like it's... It needs if it's if it's going to be included in the overall um, sort of gear list. If it's going to be something that I'm putting in my pack or carrying on my person, it needs to really deliver. Uh, it needs to deliver enough value to justify carrying it, to justify the weight, the size. Like, what's the application? What's the benefit that this provides? And if I cannot clearly articulate that, it's extra that I do not need and I don't want it. So I need to be able to identify what is good to be included and what is unnecessary. And by thinking about it in terms of what I'll be carrying in a backpack and moving around, that helps create a sense of creative limitation like I can work within this boundary limitation and find creative ways of optimizing for that limitation. It just helps sort of guide the focus, guide the intentions. And it can be really difficult to be aimless, um, looking at a blank, a, a blank slate, and sort of being overwhelmed with all the potential ways to fill the space. Like there's an overwhelming number of ways that I could sort of design and build a set for the podcast. But those infinite number of ways. Those infinite number of ways zoom in tremendously when I add the limitation of I need to be able to carry it for a few miles. It needs to fit in my backpack or be something that I can carry on my person with a backpack. It needs to deliver enough value to the overall experience that it's worth the weight and the size in the backpack. And it needs to be a multi-use investment. 
so that it's not something which can only be used for podcasting because it may be that the podcast never turns into anything that's earning income so I can't be just sinking investment into tools and gear just for the podcast it needs to have multi-use application and that's true for the camp chairs sort of obviously multi-use true for the camp table true for the prayer flags even true for the driveway snow stakes um, it's true for the microphone true for the camera tripod So the ice cream truck driving by reminds me that in the third video I watched when I was here at Zilker and cars were driving by and different things were happening behind me, I was sort of tempted to add in like some little animations and text, just like funny statements to say, and just sort of add it as like a little gem for people who watch the podcast. I don't need to say anything, don't need to add any voiceover, just sort of add like an arrow pointing and some text or like an animation. Like one of them, there was this gray car driving relatively slowly and a blue car like riding its bumper. And just in my mind, the immediate image was Pac-Man. Like there could be this sort of like chomping. And because I was sort of a central break, like you could see the cars coming in, and when they exit the other side, all of a sudden it's Pac-Man in a blue ghost, like, image, just sort of pasted over the cars moving. Um, little things, little things to just level up. There's a car that's driving the wrong way on a one-way, and just, like, adding a one-way sign. I don't know, like, it, it might not be worth the effort to go into all that because my editing skills are terrible and I'm remarkably slow at figuring out how to work videos so I can already tell that's going to be something that I would like to outsource as soon as possible um, my video editing skills are not great my audio editing skills are passable um, but that's also something that I'd like to edit sort of outsource Ideally, I'd be able to focus my effort on making the podcast and capturing as much good B-roll as possible and then passing all of the raw material on to someone who can process it, organize it, and prepare it for upload so that I can keep working on the next podcast and making the next song. And then I'm also able to help an upcoming creative who's working in the editing space it's good practice 
for them and it's a way to earn money and so there seems like there's a lot of benefit to sort of sharing the load and sharing the work and figuring out what I can do and what I can give to others to do and that's something which I can definitely give to others because it is something I can do but I'm not skilled I have no advantage doing it and it's not something I need to do at all so I think someday I might also outsource the making of clips because I get a little bit too close to it and I can't always tell like what's good on its own and what needs more sort of supporting information to get the point across. I think others who are just showing up to the practice would probably have a more clear-sighted view, a little bit more objective about what's good, what's sort of most good. And it's also just finding ways to optimize my own creative production capabilities. Figuring out what parts of the practice are much less creative and perhaps there's also a benefit to the collaboration and the brainstorming piece where I think the process of making clips is better performed with more people because you get other input. It's not just my idea of what I like or think is good. When others get to sort of brainstorm an idea like, oh, I think you should make a clip of this section of the video or this section of the podcast or this section of the freestyle is really good. When you have other people adding input, it's sort of like, well, they're approaching it for the first time as an actual observer, sort of unattached from the creation of the work. Whereas I'm approaching it as the person who made the work and I can kind of remember the total thing and where it's going. And so I have a different idea of what's good or not good because of the total sort of position it has relative to all the other things. And then I'm also comparing it with the most recent recordings I've made. And so I have all these other weird sort of filters and comparisons taking place and I'm really much less objective in the ability to say this is good and should be turned into a clip and so I think giving that also to others to help out with maybe that's something where it's something where I don't totally remove myself from that process but I don't make it something that I do by myself like I include others in that clip making process and maybe we sit down and watch some videos together and just talk about what parts are good for a clip, what parts would work well. I think having that brainstorm would be good.
I'm feeling like this is a good place to wrap up. I'm sort of getting deeper and deeper into thoughts that don't really need to be shared at the moment. And so if I can uh, add on the creative freestyle to this, I will, to start working on how I want to do that. Like, how much creative practice do I sort of want to add at the end of these podcast videos? Sort of as, like, the cherry on top. Like, the whole two- to three-hour podcast is sort of the milkshake, the smoothie, the sweet goodness. But then there's, like, that explosive crisp cherry at the end on top of it all and yeah there's something exciting about the idea of adding creative expressions to each one which don't get shared anywhere else from myself and the other artist like we sort of add a unique piece of art to the end of each episode like that's where it lives like only people who find it in that podcast episode will observe it so there's there's a part of me that thinks it doesn't much matter whether or not I'm doing freestyle which is directly attached to the podcast location as the podcast is happening versus adding in a video freestyle from another location at another time I think as long as it's new, unreleased material, it's still serving the right purpose. And it's also possible and probably likely that the majority of the artwork practice videos that I'm sharing from people I'm interviewing, those will probably take place in a different location and time from the actual conversation. And so I think it's natural that at the end of the podcast, the location will change the overall vibe will shift from conversation to art practice and then you'll see a unique art practice from myself and the person who I was interviewing. I like, I like the way in which that sort of flows and creates a total experience. And... Yeah. I'm just going to keep on going. I'll keep doing these by myself as I'm figuring out more of what this is, getting the practice, developing the habit of entering into it and setting everything up. And I'm hoping to start interviewing people really as soon as possible and getting into that process of, all right, how do I meet people? How do I tell them about the podcast? How do I exchange contact information? How do I schedule a time in a day to meet up and actually record the podcast? And then how do I go about recording their art practice? How do we schedule that and make it happen? How do I then edit all of that together and upload it? And what's sort of the approximate turnaround time for that to take place? So there's a there's sort of a balance that needs to feel itself out. And the only way it's going to find balance is by 
getting into the practice over and over again, feeling out the different ways in which failure is sort of missing the mark and identifying how it's missing. How can we get closer to what's most good or most true? And then it's recognizing that there's sort of a never-ending amount of creative people here in Austin. And there's really there's really no shortage of people who I would be interested in sitting down and talking with. And the podcast is the perfect uh, it's the perfect invitation to have a long-form discussion sort of the perfect reason to sit down and be present for someone for a few hours. Like I would have a much easier time reaching out to someone who I've never met before and asking them if they'd like to sit down and talk on my podcast. Because if I were to approach that same person cold and say, would you like to meet me at a park and talk for two hours? Just get to know each other the chances that they would accept that are much lower than if it's a podcast because the podcast has real marketing potential and business application and so they have much more incentive to show up and participate and engage with me and it's a way in which their fans can see another part of themselves and connect with them on a deeper level. And it's a way in which they can be introduced to new people, make new fans, and sort of grow their following and presence in the world, which naturally leads to them sharing more of their art, which naturally leads to them selling more of their art, which naturally leads to them practicing more of their art. And it sort of has this compounding effect and so by having that podcast, it's sort of me offering to document and produce a conversation and really try and bring the best out of the artist. Like, how can I help hold space for the artist to articulate themselves in a way that maybe they haven't before, either because they haven't had the opportunity or they haven't... Uh, I don't know, maybe they just haven't thought about opening up more of themselves to talk about the art practice. They've been so focused on the finished work. And so I think giving that opportunity and doing everything I can to hold space to have that conversation, it seems like it's a, a really good way to meet new people, reach out in the world, and sort of... sort of be more willing to just invite people to show up and have a long conversation which is something I absolutely love doing and I would like to do more of and so it's a natural passion that I feel and it's a
it's a sort of practice that I could practice for decades and never earn money from. And I would still enjoy doing it. I would still love the process of interacting with creative people, documenting their art practice, learning more about their relationship with art. I don't think that's something I would ever get tired of doing. I think it's that piece which makes me especially excited about this journey getting started and being worked on in public. Like I'm just sort of openly figuring things out, making mistakes and just sort of sharing it. Like here's an open window into my bubbling attempts. Bubbling, 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 bubbling. And the failures are going to far outnumber the successes, hopefully in the best sort of way, in the sense that the failures are building up to greater successes and they're learning opportunities which have to be experienced. And uh, when I really take ownership of my place on the total journey, it makes it much easier to be in that weak, bubbling state of continuous failure because a part of me recognizes that if I were just starting out and I was an immediate success or received immediate sort of viral attention, like I wouldn't have the skills to manage that. I wouldn't know how to continue operating. And so appreciating the sort of slow bake over time and getting into that mindset of working on the practice for years for the love of the practice and the value that's extracted in the process of making it not in terms of the external reward or financial return so having that orientation it's a It's a form of creative sustenance, really. Like a, a kind of exercising which makes me feel better. Yes, it can be difficult and it can be strenuous. Yes, it takes time and I have to show up and be present and I have to work in a disciplined manner. But it changes my mood, it changes how I feel, it changes how I show up in other areas of my life and interact with the world at large. And so, like when I recognize all the ways in which I benefit from the art practice, it makes it so much easier to feel inspired to just jump in and do more practice. It makes it so much easier to make mistakes and feel like it's okay, feel like that's part of the overall practice. And so, I'm going to keep going, keep climbing forward, keep making new practice and sharing it, keep putting the 
weakness, the failures, the misfire attempts, just keep sharing as much of it as I can and keep improving little by little. If I can get better by a tiny fraction of a percent every day, the gains in growth over time will be uh, noticeable. Eventually they'll be substantial. And eventually they'll be at a point where it's sort of awe-inspiring. When I look back at these early videos, like, wow, look at how it started, man. But it just started. And I think that's the, that's the exciting magic of being aware of my place as a beginner at the very beginning of this journey. So many unknown decision points, so many unknown conversations, so many unknown ripple effects that may occur as a result of this practice accumulating over time. And if I can make those careful adjustments and pivots, perhaps there can be a flowering, an opening, an expansive sharing of beauty in the world. Perhaps we can help artists cultivate new means of communicating with themselves and others. And that potential, that potential for making and sharing beauty is it's so exciting. It's so exciting. It's really got me at a loss of words at the moment, so I'm going to wrap this up. We're going to close out this episode. And uh, be sure to stick around if you made it this far to the end. Be sure to stick around for the end of ep other episodes as well, because I'm going to start adding on some unique artistic expressions to... Uh, be a little hidden gem at the end of podcast episodes to always have a little hidden gem at the end for myself as well as anyone who I'm interviewing so here's uh, here's what's coming up next for that let's get into it practice 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 peace Sometimes when I get the proportions just right, I'm always feeling it all right. Sometimes it's undeniable when I got that crunchy snow under my feet. I gotta stand still in one place and just feel all of the waves and mm, let them out, let them out. Yeah, let them out. I I need to be okay in all the ways I move. Checking my space, checking the ways I. Mm, 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 mm. I am trying to improve, and I could use your help. How should I do? Better inside the practice. How could I be improving? How could I develop habits and 
have the proper tools and locations, all the proper practicing vibrations mm, to best record all of the ways that I'm learning how to be better in this, mm, mm, in this moment. I'm mm, looking for the truth and mm, in this moment I'm mm, Another traumatized youth Looking for role models Looking all around like an owl screaming Who? Who can I trust? Who can I look to when I'm feeling a lack of love? When I'm feeling like my heart is a desert landscape And I need some water to help change I, I, I don't know which, which way I keep looking But I'm never really sure what kind of change is good for me And what kind of change would destroy me and what kind of ways, what kind of names, what kind of people, who should I listen to? Not really sure anymore. I'm so twisted up, uh, broken down, and uh, looking for love. Uh, so can you help me out? Mm, 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 I've been falling down mm, 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 more than a lot. I seem to fall more than I stand. I seem to stop more than I flow with fluid movement. It's a knot and I just get tied up and I'm... I'm twisted all around every which way. Come on, don't put me down. I could use. I could use a little bit of help. Maybe you could offer help to me, even in a limited fashion. Even if it's distance on the internet, there's still something in this. Mm -mm. So much better than nothing And then I mm, 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 Maybe I could Be better than I have been And maybe I could Learn how to live And mm, Maybe I could be Maybe I could be Maybe I could be Maybe I could mm, Maybe I could be Maybe I could be Maybe I could be Maybe I could mm, Maybe I could breathe, calm it down. Maybe I could see how to be okay, how to be in this moment, how to be right now, how to just be flowing, how to be okay, how to be in this moment, how to be right now.